How do we engage people in, in really positive conversations that move the conversation forward? This conversation discusses rape, child sexual abuse, mental health issues, self-harm and domestic violence. It doesn't do so in a particularly descriptive way. It's in a public place. And it's an amicable discussion between people who are meeting for the first time in real life and getting to know each other and discussing issues where we sometimes disagree and sometimes agree. But it definitely touches on those issues as well as many other things. Feminism and my faith together have been the things that have have enabled me to become a liberated person. And so for me personally, I recognise that faith is an important thing, but feminism is also an important thing. Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Hello. I should say, before we start, we're in a cafe across from the Royal Festival Hall called La Pam Quotidian or something like that. I probably mispronounced it. Um, and so that explains the background sound, which is not too bad. We're in a booth. There's some talking in the background and some classical music. So hopefully people will enjoy this soundscape that I've carefully crafted for you today. People should expect a train to pass over our heads, which will be an exciting background sound experience for everyone. Yeah, so that's, that's basically where we're at. It was kind of weird for me to say your actual name, <laughs> because I know you by a different name on Twitter. Yes, yes. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm vaguely pseudonymous. I don't like to... I'm not anonymous on there, but kind of vaguely pseudonymous as God Loves Women on Twitter. I am on Twitter and kind of in professionally as well um, and in various different, you know, forms in different accounts. But yeah, essentially kind of my main tweeting comes from my God Loves Women account. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know who... I don't know how that how that connection on Twitter started as well. I, I, I don't know if I followed you first or you followed me first, but at some point we ended up following each other because we broadly have interests in similar areas, but we'll get into a lot of that as yeah. the conversation goes on. But when I was doing my show, um, I was doing research for my show, What About the Men, Mansplaining Masculinity, and I was doing a questionnaire asking men their, their views, and you were really supportive during that time, and you shared that, that questionnaire a lot of times. And in fact, you know, it, it, it was a survey of a thousand men. By the end, it was quite hard to get those men, and so I'm sure a lot of those men came through your, your help and support. So yeah, I'd like to thank you for that. Thank you. And the first question I ask everyone is, how do you know me? And we've kind of just <laughs> covered that, haven't we? A bit. Well, yeah, so I think, like, I think it was when you, I kind of followed you and connected with you through the man survey stuff that you were doing. And um, like, I guess, you know, my Twitter name shows that I'm coming from a, a faith perspective, a Christian faith perspective. And so I'm really passionate about really good engagement in masculinities and understanding of masculinity. And so it was great to see a guy talking about it in a much more nuanced and healthy positive way and for a a man to be leading that conversation in a way that I could really get behind (laughs) because I guess you know often it requires for women to be shaping the conversation and often the conversations that you know men are having are not particularly positive or helpful or don't align with a feminist value system so I think I was really enthused and encouraged and you know thank you for the work you're doing because I think it's really necessary and you know I'm really grateful that there's somebody doing stuff that I can get behind and be like you should get involved with this so that's great. Thank you very much for, the, for saying that. I mean, it's definitely, like, 
as a man, I find it very hard to find other men to sort of look up to and follow in, in, within this kind of dialogue of feminism and, and, and masculinities. So I guess I'm trying to be the, the man that I don't find to be there very much. But certainly my views have, have absolutely been shaped by, by women writing about gender. And there are many women who I look up to, respect and I'm thankful for. So it's kind of nice to be sort of in a similar area to somebody else on the other way around. That's, quite, that's nice, but weird. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Uh, right, so so I work full-time freelance on various aspects of ending male violence against women. So I do a lot of com- how do we communicate effectively about abuse in ways that change people's attitudes and beliefs, which is not a small task. Um, how do we use language that most effectively challenges people's misconceptions? How do we engage people in, in really positive conversations that move the conversation forward? So I do that in various different ways, companies or charities or organizations contract me to write materials for them I speak at conferences I write training I deliver training about six years ago I wrote a program called the day program which is domestic abuse education program for young people and um, I need now to talk about domestic abuse and sexual exploitation in kind of one big thing so I train practitioners to deliver that program across the country to young people and I've trained 300 practitioners already to do that and that's sort of growing as people become aware of the program yeah I just kind of do stuff as work comes along doing various different things talking about different things I've written resources around child sexual exploitation around female genital mutilation so lots of kind of stuff around the male violence stuff Um, within the church I have been involved in setting up the Christian Feminist Network in the UK Uh, there's a collective of us who sort of run it and try and do stuff around our busy lives Um, I've also done stuff within the church around the representation of women on the platform so collecting statistics around the amount of men and women at the national Christian events that happen across the UK to create kind of a snapshot of what is going on in in some mainstream Christianity and that's been really valuable and powerful in starting to move conversations forward about how do we change the dynamic and make it a more equal platform or a platform that's more representative of the wider um, demographic within the um, Christian world if you like. Right and and I mean faith and feminism are not two words that people associate with each other very much. I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of people with faith who are feminists uh, and vice versa I mean that's the same thing either way Um, but they're not I don't think many listeners will be expecting those two words to go together so yeah could you could you tell me why why and how that those two (laughs) things kind of fit together for you yeah I think you know I I suppose if I talk personally about my journey and then maybe move on to a more kind of wider understanding of faith and feminism so you know I fully get that there's a, a strong view within feminism that then that feminism and faith are not compatible, you know, patriarchal gods, you know, like God as a man, etc., right. etc. Et so I'm totally sympathetic and appreciative and respectful of those people who would say that, and I totally understand why people have come to that view. So it's definitely I'm definitely not kind of like thinking, you know, that I'm entitled to have my views, you know, kind of everybody should agree with me or anything. So personally, my journey has been that I grew up in a Christian home, so kind of Christianity was my first. Kind my first value system was within a Christian worldview. Quite a conservative evangelical framework, but where love was the big thing and integrity was the big thing. So I think, you know, although, uh, you know, kind of your listeners are probably quite anti-conservative evangelicalism, (laughs) it is is something that comes with people being very integrous about what they believe, even if what we think they believe is not acceptable. But there is something that I was raised very much that you... 
what you believe is how you live and that, that being a very important thing and so I guess that's informed my feminism as well um, so uh, I uh, grew up kind of um, not really particularly aware of being female um, in a way a lot of people would say as, as a girl you know growing up I just my parents were kind of not not into boys being allowed to play with weapons because you know that's bad and, you know kind of very my dad wasn't hyper masculine or anything like actually my dad hilariously my my dad told me a few years ago that my mum nominated him for daily mail man of the 90s or something like new man of the 90s which and he won it apparently hilariously um so you know but this which is just a really random thing but this that my dad was kind of not um was quite sensitive and stuff so um but my mum and dad have very uh very sort of clear gender roles so my mum stayed at home and looked after us and was very like you know women look after the home and men go out to work so even though gender in one sense was quite uh, something that was very you just you're just a person um, in another way it was like actually as I started to grow into adolescence like this understanding that this is the way the world works and so um, um, I um, experienced um, some abuse from um, I was sexually abused by a neighbour when I was kind of 8 to about 14 and um, so that that was I guess the first time I as a female I had an experience of something that was typical of growing up as a girl um, and then I was starting to sort of deal with the, the traumatic aspects of that at about 16 and was sort of ended up self-harming and in quite negative mental health space um, my parents didn't really know what to do with that um, but for me my faith was a constant kind of source of strength really and, and kind of enabled me to get through um, and then at 17 I met a boy you know as as 17 year olds do and I was like he was the most beautiful creature I'd ever met and I was like oh this is um, this is this is it and um, and you know I'd kind of growing up in the church meant that I had been disabled from making really good choices in relationships so um, this was the sex and relationship education in church are they a Christian yes tick the box there was no kind of are they what's their value system are they a good person are they somebody who's going to treat you well it's just do they subscribe to the belief system you do right they're in and the second was just don't have sex till you're married the end just don't don't think about it sex is a chocolate cake you put it in the fridge and you stay out of the kitchen which doesn't really help when the chocolate cake is everywhere dancing at you going eat me eat me <laughs> so um so yeah so I kind of um ended up in this relationship totally in ill-equipped to deal with um any relationship really and it turned out that this beautiful boy was actually very very abusive and very very dangerous and um, he was the same age as me we were both 17 and um within six months I was pregnant because I went to a Catholic school so you know contraception wasn't talked about I went you know my main kind of value system came from Christianity which was like just don't think about it and then you know my mum read the Daily Mail and thought the pill gave you cancer so I was kind of like if I was <laughs> if anybody was going to be in a position to end up pregnant it was me so um, at 17 I was pregnant um and at 18 I had my daughter um, just after having her I got married to the guy because that's what you do when you're Christian and you know I mean I, I'm, I'm 31 so we're not talking that long ago it's like you know just over a decade ago but that value system was you know so strong and I think you know we have to be thinking about how do we engage with young people if they do have a faith you know I think that actually if somebody is coming from a non-faith perspective and is thinking about how do we educate how do we have conversations we can think that oh they're just taking on what their parents think but for, for you know young people if they're if they think God's saying something we have to engage with what they think God's saying to them we have to find ways to have conversations which are uh, possible for them to engage with if you like so 
CSO. Um, I was with him until I was um, 21. He was severely abusive that entire time, very sexually abusive, very... Um, uh, undermined my sense of self. I was suicidal while I was with him. I was um, traumatized. I was, you know, I kind of was had Stockholm syndrome essentially. Um, was very, very ill. Um, and um, when I, when my daughter was two and a half, um, my um, I started to think, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. That's it. I'm getting out. And um, I was I was six months pregnant at the time, so I got I was pregnant again at twenty. And um, and he um, raped me, and my son was born three months premature. So um, we ended up being moved to a hospital about um, an hour away from where I was from. And it was that that allowed me to, and enabled me to separate successfully. It wasn't like, you know, I got this strength from somewhere. I was like, right, that's it. I'm an empowered woman. I'm going to leave now. It was literally the circumstances which meant that I had to live in a hospital. And so my two-and-a-half-year-old, me, and my premature baby lived in a hospital for five months while he um, was treated in various hospitals um, and uh, I reported him to the police for what he'd done um, but due to contact that I had with him during uh, the court case um, he was found not guilty um, and so like I, I totally lost it then um, I, I became quite unfunctioning um, and uh, it was when I was there that I got recommended um, to go on and refer to a domestic abuse education programme and I up until this point wouldn't have identified what had happened to me as abuse and I think you know that's a really significant thing about abuse people don't recognise that um, what is happening to them is abuse we don't self-identify abuse and it's one of the big issues with <laughs> domestic abuse services you know is that if you're advertising hey if you're being abused come to us nobody wants to admit that so we need to talk much more about identifying the behaviours that somebody is experiencing rather than labelling it um, in that way so I went on this programme and it totally transformed my understanding of what I'd been through. I started to understand things like that abuse is motivated by power and control. Um, I started to kind of um, recover and my faith was the reason that I made it through actually. Um, a combination of beginning to understand and reframe my experiences as abuse and having this experience of, of a God who is bigger than everything. Of choosing to give everything to God when I had nothing and that you know kind of sense of giving myself to something greater at, like actually saved me and it's like almost for me I found myself in in emptying myself which is a weird thing and um so yeah so I ended up moving down to Essex and getting miraculously ended up marrying the man who's now my husband he's awesome um I still have PTSD I still kind of have um situations of being quite traumatized but generally um you know I'm quite healthy had a lot of counseling a lot of counseling had to undo a lot of kind of the belief systems and re reframe a lot of my faith experience but um basically the question that you asked in the beginning faith and <laughs> faith and feminism long way around for me um i became a feminist because i recognize that that is the only way to understand male violence against women is to understand patriarchy and to understand that the reason that i experienced abuse was because of being female and because my ex-husband was male and he thought that he owned me and was entitled to behave in the way he did and he was 17 when he did that um, because that's how he'd been raised. That's the that's the structures in which he'd been raised, and and that's the you know that's not to say he didn't make choices. He absolutely did, but those choices um, were within a patriarchal framework. And so for me, that's where my feminism came from, and and my my healing came partly through 
understanding why I was subjected to abuse and that it's not some greater plan or whatever. It's about um, male male supremacy and male domination of women and that my inability to resist that was because I had been conditioned to think that I needed to care for him and love him and forgive him. And if I just, you know loved him hard enough and showed him Jesus well enough then he would become a Christian and then everything would be wonderful because all Christian men are good not (laughs) feminism and my faith together have been the things that have have enabled me to become a liberated person and so for me personally I recognize that faith is an important thing but feminism is also an important thing think on a more wider context of um, faith and feminism I think um, that there is a a lot that Christians need to be learning from feminists a lot Um, you know that actually Christianity and all faiths are woven through with patriarchy because you know like everything they're run by men but you know but that's not to say that everything isn't woven through with patriarchy democracy you know everything that you know atheism you know I mean you know you just have to I know I've had I've had probably had worse experiences <laughs> online from atheist mansplainers than from um, Christian mansplainers, but you know. Um, so I think you know that actually um, I, I recognise like, why faith is a problematic thing for a lot of feminists, but I would say that there is a need for feminism to be willing to engage with the experiences of people of faith and you know the personal is political and for people of faith their personal is faith and their political is sometimes faith too and so I think you know there's a lot we can learn from each other Um, but I think there's always a recognition that there is some incompatibility so feminism is fundamentally one of the fundamental concepts that underline feminism is bodily autonomy and there are conflicts in terms of I suppose as a as a Christian I see myself as being obedient to a creator God and that is massively in conflict with a with a feminist view you I don't find it in conflict but I recognize that there is you know that actually it's very difficult to explain that in any way that doesn't sound oppressive but I think you know there's there's one of the things I would say is a challenge is that that for femininity has been oppressed in being selfless and self-giving and all loving and forgiving and you know that being very much an oppressive construct of femininity and I think that's a real challenge for the feminist movement because actually love is a higher purpose and how do we how do we reclaim love within um, the feminist movement do you know how how do we reclaim selflessness not as being oppressed or kind of constricted but as being an opening up and you know how do we make forgiveness something that is not being a doormat but is actually being free from the hatred of someone else so do you know what I mean all those kind of greater questions of liberation movement I mean that's that's interesting because I mean I'm I'm, I mean we'll get we'll get into this you know more as we go on I'm sure like I, I identify as a feminist although I totally um respect people's rights to to disclude me from the movement um because of my gender but but we we have a lot of different opinions about that which we'll get into but one one of the places where i think we we have a similar interest or similar agreement is i mean i come from a position even though i've not got faith of you know ultimately forgiveness love reconciliation these are the sorts of things that i believe in they're what i what I look for within feminism, they're kind of why I'm a feminist. Um, but it's easy for me as a man to, 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 
to explore those kinds of themes because they are counter my counter my patriarchal programming. If a man is forgiving, is uh, shows love instead of hate or whatever, that's that's kind of subverting what we're taught. Yeah. Whereas for you, it's absolutely what we've told women to do for centuries. Yeah. Uh, and that's so that's really, I mean it's really interesting to hear like how you navigate that. I, I also have a problem navigating that because you know for example I want to forgive but I don't want to let people off the hook yeah and enable sh- yeah and I'm sure you you have that even worse than me so I mean my 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 journey towards feminism is has also been about understanding abuse um but not not I wouldn't say on the same I mean I don't know I don't want league tables of abuse but definitely I'm not comparing my experiences to yours um but you know that navigating through that situation of like reframing my past and like oh I see how patriarchy has contributed to the ways I've been abused and how patriarchy has contributed to the way that I've abused others I'm sure um, like that's a different kettle of fish for me <laughs> like such a different thing for me to come to than for you because when you're when you're coming to what you what you call male violence I, I guess I also would say male violence I'm more I'm more comfortable with the idea of violence against women, the, the word, the phrase, yeah. than male violence, because I think this might be one of the areas we disagree on, but male-female is a kind of a complicated binary that I think needs to be um, destroyed. Um, but, but I think, like, it's, it, I can't argue with the fact that there is more violence against women than there is against men. I can't argue that the way we're socialised is much worse for women than it is for men. Um, that said, of course, my journey has been about partly understanding how I used to not call myself a feminist because I didn't think that I thought that was appropriation. As I've come to understand that men are also damaged by patriarchy, I've come to understand that it's not appropriation necessarily for me to define as a feminist. It's actually me trying to save my life and the lives of, 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 of everybody. Like, you know, I think feminism gives everybody hope, hopefully, like everybody a, a way forward, which is about reconciliation, um, which is one of the areas that you're very interested in exploring, gender recon- reconciliation, right? Yeah. Um, would you like to say a little bit about that yeah, before so, I talk forever? Yeah, and no, and, yeah, and I, think, I think that, like what you were talking about, I was just going to kind of talk about um, gender reconciliation. So I... Um, I've been really interested in, um, it feels like feminism is is the prophetic voice going, there's something wrong, and there's something wrong, and there's something wrong, but that it doesn't always feel like there's there's a, there's a, a next step of how do we fix it, there's no, and you know, I think some of that is because feminism is not a cohesive movement that was thought up like Marx thought Marxism up in the British Library and went, right, this is what it is, right. feminism is women and you know to some degree men waking up and going there's a problem (laughs) and then going I need to do something about how I'm being treated and that becomes feminism and then they either recognize that within a broader framework of the feminist movement or not and I think this is why feminism is so so much more difficult than a lot of other political movements because it is about people waking up at various points in various places around the world in various times throughout history and going there is something wrong we need to do something and then that doing something becomes feminist but actually there's there's not it's not 
like, uh, you know, I mean, the Christian faith has a creed. It has a belief system that you subscribe to. And, you know, I mean, we have enough problems with people not <laughs> believing the same stuff and, you know, who's in and who's out. And so I think, you know, the feminist movement has a much greater struggle because it is based on the commonality of uh, the experience of patriarchy. That's the only thing that we have as a commonality. Beyond that, like, what? how do we add, How do we move forward with that? How do we change that? How do we, what do we do about it is, you know, massively up for debate. And what some people think is liberatory. Other people go, no, that's still oppressive. That's, you know, and it becomes very, very complicated. Well, there's feminisms rather than just one, yeah. one branch of feminist, fe- feminism. But also, like, when you talk about what we have is our commonality of experiences under patriarchy, I think that's that's true and it's not true and that's where it all gets complicated yeah. so we're all in the same system how we experience that system is wildly different not just if you're a man or a woman or any other gender but also not all women have had the experience of patriarchy that you've had yeah which means that some of them are not like you know some t- often i talk about masculinity in public um and it's women who don't agree with the idea of patriarchy as much as it's men yeah. and I have all of the arguments prepared for if a man doesn't agree with patriarchy, but when a woman doesn't, I find that really a complicated space because I don't want to mansplain patriarchy (laughs) to a woman. At the same time, I can't ignore the truth. Yeah. The reality that patriarchy exists, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So that kind of com- that, that that kind of thing of going, well, what do we do next? Like, how, what do we do with this? How do we? What is the next step? And um, I ended up um, in contact with an organisation called Gender Reconciliation International, who are a US-based organisation, and they have kind they do work around the world. Um, the guy who set it up there was, it's a man and a woman who run it but the guy who set it up basically he was like a nuclear physicist randomly and he suddenly realised that we needed to save the environment or something so he started working with environmental groups on saving the planet and you know addressing nuclear energy and all that kind of stuff and what he found was that all these people in these groups really wanted to save the environment and cared a lot about the environment but the men weren't caring very much for the women you know like typical sort of lefty male um, sexism and abuse of women within the kind of lefty framework and I yeah and all this kind of stuff and so so he started to look at what can we do to build relationships between men and women because yeah we want to save the planet but what about the people <laughs> and how do men treat women better and so that's where so like that's what gender reconciliation was birthed out of which is a bit of a random place but they um it's it's based on kind of reconciliation work that came out of apartheid south africa um and it, it's looking at this as, as a war and looking at what are the peace building techniques we can use and um, it's very much about witnessing how do we witness to one another's experience so um we did a three-day workshop in the UK in February and uh, we had 11 women and six men on the um, on the workshop and it was a really profound experience and I just I hope we could do some more because um, it's open to people of all genders it's not just kind of about binary men and women anybody can come along um, and it's very much about looking at um, what is the wounds that patriarchy causes, causes us and it's like really profound work it's about witnessing to the experience of the the other if you like and so you know it's it, they just create a super super safe space i've never experienced a, a safe space created like this which is about taking responsibility for your own your own feelings you know and kind of very much saying actually we, we all have to take responsible for how we're feeling but please stay present in the process and a really really powerful safe space creation and then they do sort of separate group with um uh, kind of men and women and people who identify within those groups or you know people can have their own group if they don't 
don't identify with either. Um, and then um, at times where we all come together and, and uh, it's very much about witnessing. So while the one group is speaking, the other group is present and li- not just listening but witnessing to what the other group is saying. And so there's this really profound experience of being listened to and witnessed to and there's no opportunity for justifying or explaining or questioning it's just witnessing to and so what was profound I think for me was that for all the women in the group there was explicit experiences of oppression um, you know explicit kind of points where you could go that was what patriarchy did or that was what um, somebody did to me that was what was done to me by a man or by men or whatever whereas for the men it was this kind of like this kind of like dawning realization of oh like I've been squashed into something and I don't even have a name for it and I didn't notice it had happened it was more like this gas that like surrounded everything but it was not explicit and they kind of I'd have felt uncomfortable about it for a while or hadn't but whatever it was they'd never had a space which had opened up the opportunity to talk about it and sort of the last day involves creating a, a kind of ceremony for to sort of celebrate the thing so it's really beautiful and really profound I think the challenges I found coming away from it was that I guess the main uh, aim is to rehumanize so to rehumanize the other so for men to rehumanize women women to rehumanize men or people you know and kind of look at that I mean within the the workshop there was only men and women who identified as in within the sort of agenda that they were assigned at birth type thing so it wasn't the wider you know other people's who identify yeah the wider spectrum this was the particular workshop I suppose one of the things that I've realized I realized through this was that one of the necessary coping strategy if you're going to work like I do on on the sharp end of the spectrum if you're interacting with female genital mutilation sexual exploitation domestic abuse and very much within an experience of that being the majority male towards with female actually that there's a very necessary need not to expend energy on men's struggles and it was really hard because I was sat in this room and was like really feeling for the woundedness of the men in this room and feeling like this is really tough but then also feeling like I don't know whether I've got the energy like I've only got so much energy and you know like is that should the energy be focused on you know like you know they talk about going upstream don't they they talk about like you know the bodies are coming down the stream and people are dragging them out of the river and they're trying to resuscitate these bodies and somebody has to go upstream and work out why the bodies are coming down the river in the first place Um, and the challenge is that with with male violence against women there is no way of removing yourself from the body so when you go upstream there's this idea that you take take a step back from the dead bodies or the dying bodies coming down the river but you're we live in a world that you're constantly confronted by that so if I went right well I'm going to go upstream and think about this over here like I'm still going to be reading about women being murdered and women being raped and I'm still going to have friends coming to me and saying I've got a friend who's going through this can you help them I've got this going on do you know what I mean so there's no there isn't any way of distancing yourself from from the, the sharp end really when you see once you start to see that this is what's going on and right. this is what people are suffering well, especially when you've got personal yeah. experience yeah. That. So, I mean, that must make, make it a complicated thing to navigate all of this stuff and at the same time having personal experience of it but keeping sort of objective to a certain extent with the material you're working with I mean it no, I have a lot of respect for, for you for doing that. Like, yeah, I, think, I find it hard enough yeah. with my stuff, and my stuff is, is, is less complicated. Yeah, I think though, I think forgiveness has been a played a massive part in my life, and I think for me, you know, I don't 
like I, my ex-husband I don't feel any negativity towards him I really hope that he makes different choices I don't hate him I don't wish badly anything for him I just wish that he would not hurt other people and that is my like genuinely right. I don't so I think in some ways I'm not in a position of it's not coming you know I was surprised at myself feeling like I can't be expending energy on men because I thought I was like no I don't I don't have a problem with men I love men men are great I mean I'm married to one I've got I've birthed one I, do you know what I mean like I've got male friends I'm not I'm not against men at all but then when it was like how do we deal with the woundedness of men and thinking I don't know whether I can make that my fight you know um, so, but I think men, men I mean my view is men have to make that their fight mm. but I also think that when we look at this kind of war if you like or I don't know if war is quite how I see it but I understand why people see it that way like in a way healing the woundedness of men not in this not in this like there's a lot of men out there moaning about nonsense that isn't big like there's a the problem is that the men out there talking about what it's like to be a man under patriarchy they wouldn't even use the word patriarchy, but they're, they're out there talking about trivial things that are no big deal. They're not getting at the big wounds, yeah. if you like, that men experience under patriarchy. But I think in, in order to heal everyone's wounds, we've got to stop those wounds being yeah. formed. Because often it's... I'm not excusing male violence against women. I'm not excusing any violence against anyone. But often it's the experience of being brutalised that causes men to then go out and brutalise other people. Like I'm not saying it's as simple as that. It's not as easily summed up as that. But when you talk about common experiences of, of women, and I don't disagree that a common experience of women is to be sexually assaulted and to be abused in various different forms, I, I think it's much more common than we think for men to be abused in different ways. Um, but they don't talk about it. They're not even. They don't even know. Like what you were saying about not knowing you've been abused. I think lots of men are in that position. Like men who've been beaten and like violence, which they just look back on as like that's part of growing up. That's yeah. how it goes. That's what how it works. Mm. I mean, that was an interesting thing about the survey. So many people would start off saying, "No, I have never been hurt by patriarchy," and then in the next breath would be like listing horrible things that happened to them. I agree. You shouldn't be expected to necessarily be the one who worries about their pain. Um, they need, to, we need, to, men need to worry about their pain for them, with them. But unless unless that pain is also being healed, it kind of like we can't heal everyone. But yeah. At the yes. same time, it's not just about the men. The men aren't the ones who are having the worst time. I, I hasten to make that really clear. <laughs> I think it's a really complex one, isn't it? And I think, you know, um, the actual perpetration is, is usually still men, isn't it? So even where boys are brutalised, it's, it's very often by men. Not that women can't brutalise. Well, I think that one of the reasons I'm more comfortable with the phrase violence against women, um, although I can see some problems with that, is that I don't think it is just men. I think that everyone is violent against women. Like, it sounds like you had a great mother, but a lot of uh, people's mothers are of the place where people get that patriarchy totally enforced yeah. on them straight away. Like, boys, sure, and boys are part of... Like, it's almost like it's violence against anyone who's not a man. Like, and so often men are considered not men. Yeah. And so they get... In, in, yeah. included in that violence and also there is lots of I mean I have a violent mother I, I know what violence like perpetrated by women is yeah. like I've seen it firsthand, and it's pretty much the same as, as male violence yeah. but just uh, from different motivations yeah but, but I'm not saying that it's not 
as I say, as I say in my show, as I say all the time, majority of violence that happens is perpetrated by men. I am yeah. definitely not arguing with that. And I think, you know, it's that thing of vulnerability, isn't it? So I think girls are vulnerable and women are vulnerable because of the, the, the sort of gender thing, whereas I think, you know, boys are vulnerable because they're children often. Do you know what I mean? So there's a, a, a like you say, it's about not being a man in that sense, that anybody who's not male <laughs> yeah. becomes at higher risk and they, that risk, yeah, kind of uh, mitigated or not by other factors. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think there is, I think that it's not about denying that there are other, you know, that there are female perpetrators or that there are um, men who are subjected to violence or boys who are subjected to violence. I think, I think you know, one of the challenges I think in terms of, I think everybody struggles to talk about abuse. So yeah. I, you know, and like, I think we know, for instance, in communities where people don't talk about abuse, so like the traveler community, we know the level of violence towards women is extremely high, even though traveler women don't talk about it. But so why, you know, I guess the question, there is a question about, you know, the, the kind of assumption that the only reason we don't have kind of stats which say that, you know, that it's kind of equal, you know, the amount of men who are being subjected to abuse or women is because men are less likely to talk about it. Well, there's other groups we know who are less likely to talk about it, but we know the violence that exists, you know, that we know their levels of violence because it's not just about being talked about that makes us know that it's so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think that that level of violence is kind of... We do kind of know that there is a massive level of violence against men. We just don't talk about it. I think we do know that. because I think we know that the men experience violence, physical violence, like not sexual violence. But, like, we, you know... MRAs love to point out that, that, that you know a man walking down the street like is likely to get assaulted like in, in certain kinds of ways um, more statistically likely than a woman but then you know their rhetoric is reductive and pathetic and doesn't really get to the bones of it like, and the person they're most likely to be assaulted by is on the man. street absolutely <laughs> I, I agree. That's, so and I that's think, the main invisible I mean, thing that they. I mean, that's what I say in my show. Men are the en- yeah. are everyone's enemy. I, I think like the the, 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 the the danger for everyone is men. But I mean, it's interesting. Like when you really pick apart these things as well, it, it does always come down to patriarchy. I think so. If you look at like um, domestic violence. Uh, perpetrated by women against men I'd say it comes roughly into two categories one is uh, women who are terrorising their partners because their partners are not living up to what it's like to be a man so they're like you know you're a sissy you're not proper man so I'll I'll hit you and you won't hit me back because you're weak and pathetic Um, or it's women who fight back against the perpetrators you know know, people like to say oh women don't get like jail time like in the way that they should for, for, for violence against men uh, first of all they do get more, much more bail, jail time than people think but secondly if you're, if you're if it's self-defense it's a very different thing than if it's if you're the uh, aggressor but but there are lots of aggressive women and there are like couples who are both women who have, yeah. have, have domestic violence within them but but I, but I think all, all my view, and I, I think you probably agree on this, we probably agree on this to a certain extent, is whatever way the violence goes, it comes back to patriarchy in the end. Like, that's what motivates the violence, generally speaking. Yeah, well, I suppose it's that, you know, that patriarchy is um, a dominant force in terms of, you know, how we're socialised and what we what is and isn't acceptable and how we navigate those lack of acceptability or acceptability. So I think, yeah, I think... You know, I think patriarchy is the dominant narrative. Um, But I think, you know, we also have to... We can't undermine choice within that. So, you know, actually, you know, when... 
when I uh, do a session, I ask, why does domestic violence happen? And, you know, kind of people go, oh, you know, we, I do a quiz about it, you know, fun quiz. <laughs> Quizzes like do, you know. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and like there's drink, drug, stress, mental illness, unemployment, you know, childhood experiences. And people often are like, oh, yeah, can I tick all of them? I'm like, tick as many as you like. And actually... The reason domestic violence happens is someone chooses to hurt another yeah, person. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that we have to be talking about agency. So when I, you know, that one of the problems in terms of the language around domestic violence is um, this language that turns it into, you know, or turns any form of violence or even patriarchy to some extent, turns it into some sort of cancer that just like is, you know, happens I don't know, to it us. just happens we like, have no agency, yeah, yeah, like I went to this event, um, this big event, and they had people from all experts in domestic violence from five different continents, and um, they all were stood on a, sat on a platform talking about how domestic violence comes into homes and kills women. And I was like, when it came to question time, I was like, stood up, hand up in the air, like, um, can we stop talking about domestic violence like it's a gas that's seeping into homes and killing women because it's not it's somebody choosing to hurt somebody else and I think it fundamentally that's one of the until we start to, to talk about agency and choice and you know um, you know just look at news stories around domestic violence you know so often it's domestic violence you know is the problem no the problem is the person who is hurting the other person and, and so I think we have to be careful that when we're talking about patriarchy we don't in any way obscure the agency of the person who's making choices within that context whether they're male or female or yeah, whoever absolutely. they are um, as well, well so been, i mean i've been told on on, on twitter not to not, not that i shouldn't um explain my mother's behavior in terms of patriarchy but you know women have said uh, what a particular woman has said this to me like that that, that kind of that she hates it when like women are reduced like their, their agency is reduced like my mum's uh, behaviour was due to her own choices rather than just the context of the patriarchy around her it, I, I felt like that was a little bit of womansplaining really that happened to me in that moment because I wasn't really saying that my mum didn't have agency I was just referring to uh, my own life personal experiences yeah. and my views on it but that said uh, I do think that underneath that womansplaining there's, there's, there is some truth um, which makes it very unlike most mansplaining so hey <laughs> yeah and I think the thing I think probably one of the things that comes into it in terms of where the interaction of my faith and my feminism come in is that I guess my as a Christian my fundamental um, one of the fundamental principles of my beliefs is free will like you know free will is the fundamental of the Christian faith that you know people can choose to do what they choose to do and that's uh, and, and that's why bad things happen because <laughs> people choose make bad choices you know and God's not a chess you know putting pieces around the chessboard and going right you'll go here you know that free will means we all make our choices right. and the consequences those are on us um, and so responsibility yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's how I see it I mean I, I have to say maybe I'm a bit more wishy-washy liberal like than, <laughs> than, than, you know, yeah. I do think that the it isn't just agency or, or responsibility it's the system and to put the individual are both significant I think we can't expect people to make good choices when they're only fed terrible life experiences yeah. I think there needs to be some oh, yeah, kind of defi- like definitely like I'm absolutely not saying if somebody has been raised in a really oppressive environment that their choices are going to be you know because actually somebody else's choices interact with their choices yeah. so their choices are interacted by their parents or who has chosen to hurt them and cause their choices to be undermined so you know and then those persons you know there may be you know, it's right. very complicated so right. 
but definitely I think, think you're right. Responsibility and agency is something people often, when they look at the structural, overlook. Yeah, or like, or feel more comfortable. But we're not robots, and we're not just like it's not like patriarchy programs, as we have no other choice. But there has to be a an awakening and an awareness raising of the what, why we make the choices we do, and thinking about that. And I think you know that's whether we talk about beauty standards for women, and you know why do women wear makeup or shave, or why do we spend money on beauty products? You know that's not because we need them; it's because we're socialised to think that that's the best way to look, or you know whatever. So I think when people can say, well, it's down to personal choice, but that you know, like you say, that cho- whatever choice it is is always shaped by the messages that we're around and you know the value system that we're encouraged to have etc etc but I think yeah I think I suppose there has to come a point where we go when do things stop being choices or when do things become choices or what you know what I mean what is choice is like a massive conversation (laughs) um so let's get into the big thing uh, that's different about us I guess which is where we're sort of at I think in the conversation you're talking about choice this is traditionally the area where we start to get into (laughs) these different perspectives I mean although I mean choice is not how I would choose to frame this uh, this disagreement if you like um, I, I, I kind of want to go back to a phrase that you used earlier on which I also passionately believe in which is bodily autonomy um, and kind of I, I often want to ask this question to people who have the position that you you come from within feminism and I have I very rarely sit down with them in a, in a coffee shop and have this opportunity. So let's see how it goes. Full disclaimer, I know I'm a man. My, this, this discussion should be a, a woman talking to another woman, really. But, so bodily autonomy is, for me, primarily, of primary importance. Like, you've heard my show, so I have had experiences of whatever we want to call it, sexual assault, uh, rape is what I would call it, but... That, so I believe very strongly from a personal... Like I've, I've had my bodily autonomy taken away from me. You've had your bodily autonomy, as we've mentioned, taken away from you many times in, by many, in many unpleasant situations. So we both feel passionately about bodily autonomy, yeah. right? However, you are from this sort of side of sides, <laughs> area of, of feminism... Probably an ideology, maybe. ...that doesn't, doesn't believe in sex worker rights as such like you have you might you'll have nuance around this I don't want to characterise your yeah. position you can do that in a moment um, but, but but for me you know abortion rape uh, sex worker rights is all about bodily autonomy it's the same issue or, or even tran, trans trans uh, rights to, to change their, a trans person's right to change their body and however they want um, I mean, you know, all of these things get into it, like, you know, you can get into tattooing or whatever, yeah. but I mean, those are like the least important elements. And of... most people agree on them. Well, that's <laughs> it. Everyone agrees that you know, most people agree you should have the right to have a tattoo. Yeah. Um, but other, other rights of what to do with your body, people have a lot more arguments about. I'm assuming you're, I don't know what your position is on abortion, actually. As, as someone of faith, you might have a, 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 a surprising perspective uh, to me. How is it that, like, do you see all of those things as connected? So I think, um, like, I'm not against sex worker rights. I should probably say that. So <laughs> I guess, um, I guess, yeah. I think there are 
there's individual choice and then there's structural um, what those there's the individual choice and the individual impact that has on the individual and then there's the structural choice and the, the, right. the, the, what the impact on the structures or on the yeah on the wider implications so I guess yeah like if somebody is choosing to be a sex worker is choosing to work in the sex industry I would absolutely not be like you're not allowed to do that you shouldn't do that or you know I, I'm not of the school of thought that says all people who choose to work in the sex industry have you know been traumatised or whatever like I, that's not I think we've got to acknowledge people have agency and choice and you know people you know taught you know actually as feminists fem- feminists is fundamentally about the personal experience being political and the experiences of the person being validated and important so you know if somebody says to me like I've chosen to be a sex worker and I really love it and that's what I want to do for a job and that's fine do you know I'm not going to go no you're lying you're making that up because that's like who am I to say that so you know so I think from that perspective that's not my my view isn't that we can tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do for a job or you know what they what I guess what I would say is my issue isn't with people selling sex my issue is with people buying sex so I would say that when I don't think sex work is just like other work um, that it is about selling access to the human body and somebody can choose to do that but I think when there is a a, a payment a, a transition of payment then actually that that changes the dynamic in terms of I guess for me that sex there is a about what I'm saying here because I don't want to say anything that I don't mean or that no, it's, it's essentially it's, trying it to get the language right on this but it's thing. not yeah I think whatever position yeah. you come from so, it's hard to yeah. articulate it with you know the nuance of whatever position you come from is hard to articulate yeah so, so I think there's, there's something about what transition of money does to a sexual interaction potentially and what that means the buyer feels entitled to um, because of purchasing that. and I think the, the wider implication the thing that I would guess would be my main concern is with the wider the, there are many many of those within the sex industry who haven't made a choice who, who are making choices because they don't have another choice so people who are maybe reliant on drugs people who are trafficked people who have a boyfriend who sells them into the sex industry so I think I think that while while sex is being sold by while women are being able to be purchased for sexual purposes I don't think that we can see the full liberation of women but I don't think that means that we should be just like with abortion like I don't think we should ban abortion um, or that abortion is something that we have the right to tell somebody what they can and can't do with their body um, but that actually I would love to get to a point where people don't need to have abortions where actually people only only are, are get pregnant in situations where they want a baby. Does that make sense? Well, that sounds like a, 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 <laughs> I like, a lovely utopia. Of course. I mean, um, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that that's something sure. that that's ever going to happen. But what I'm saying is, are we fighting for the overthrowing of the oppressive structure, which is women being impregnated or pre- pregnant within situations that they don't want? Are we fighting for a situation where? those things are no longer necessary do you know what I mean um, well I mean I, I, I think with that I mean weirdly I'm going to be in the position surprisingly from where I'm where I'm positioned within feminism of saying well yeah but biology is biology and you know you can't um, you can't kind of we can't change the fact that some women and some men uh, can get pregnant um, and we can't sort of like 
so there's always going to have to be some kind of if we want to keep on like if we want to cont- to, to not have more children than we want or whatever there's always going to have to be some oh well like contraception of, yeah sure like, sure like, sure, yeah. sure but contraception is not always going to be 100% yeah. uh, work I mean I've had a vasectomy like that's my ultimate oh, um, vasectomy is a feminist issue right right seriously. I think so too I mean I think so too and I, I, I always say it as much as possible because you know it, I haven't got kids so it, like this is me not having children forever now um, and I think that's what men should do rather than expect women to, 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 to make the choices that they want them to make yeah. But kind of moving away from abortion because I yes, understand. Sorry. No, no, no. Because <laughs> actually, you're, you're quite unusual within within people who are against sex buyers in that quite often they're very pro-abortion, like they're very yeah. supportive of abortion. I'm not like anti-abortion. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not meaning to characterise you that yeah. way, but what I'm saying is you're saying in a perfect world we wouldn't have abortion, in a perfect world we wouldn't have the sex industry, right? Whereas a lot of the people who are on your general side of the camp, yeah. they would say in a perfect world uh, we wouldn't have uh, the sex industry, but they probably wouldn't say the same about abortion. Oh, they might do. I mean, it's complicated, but, you know, yeah. they have different views on those two issues. Yes. And that's a contradiction which you don't have, <laughs> so which makes you in a luckier position to have this I in don't a way know, people could probably disagree with me even more now because well, <laughs> from my point <laughs> of view right. hopefully yeah I mean not to say I want them to disagree with everything you're saying but I I think having spoken to sex workers the the Nordic model or the kind of policies that criminalize buyers of sex that, that materially doesn't actually protect women um, and materially um, like when you talk about people who are Trafficking is a different issue. Yeah. No one agrees with trafficking. Of Everybody course. Wants. In fact, uh, criminalising sex buyers means that less sex workers are uh, enabled to report trafficking. Like if they see trafficking, they can't go and report it because they, they then, then they're putting their livelihood in danger because their their, their clients are illegal, um, and so they're in an awkward position of like not wanting to like if we if we decriminalise sex work, then people are. Uh, empowered to report trafficking that the, the women don't have to worry about going to the police and being treated badly because they're a sex worker because sex work is, is, is allowed and so they can go and say hey I'm a sex worker there's some trafficked people in that building over there um, I want you to help them um, so there's all of that but trafficking to the, to the side like it's you know safe like when you're talking about people who are coerced into it or like like the coercion of of poverty of addiction or whatever you like of, of people who yeah. use drugs because I don't necessarily think all it's a complicated word, word addiction too but like if you are in that position um, then like what needs to change is you know I, I I went to a sex worker rights conference listened to lots of sex workers who know much more about this shit than me um, and you know I bought a bag which I'm terrified generally to walk around in public with because it's one of those kind of slogans that just causes a lot of controversy but the bag says on it you know end poverty not prostitution and to me that makes a hell of a lot of sense you want people to not have to do sex work in order to 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 live then then change their material circumstances yeah. and i totally would agree with that yeah, like no, i'm not sure. i think um yeah i think if I think, yeah, like that would be my... It's the same with, you know, I, I think it's the same with lots of things. Like, actually, you know, people who are kind of pro-life and say, you know, we, we shouldn't have abortion. Well, you know, what are you doing to stop people needing right. abortion? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly so I think, right. you know, it's the same with, with you know, in, in that sense with this, it's a case of, yes, if people are not able to... If their only choice is 
to starve or you know sell their body then you know of course we need to get to a point where people don't need to do that so you know I think absolutely like I'm I'm fully behind any efforts to um, bolster the wealth, welfare system to ensure that people don't need to um, you know don't, don't need to make choices or yeah. not not have the choice to do something else with their life so yeah so I think from that point yeah I would I would totally agree that we need to end the oppressive constructs which cause people to um, feel they have to enter the sex industry but some of those things you know if you end poverty or whatever you're not going to change the fact that there will be men who will force their partners into the sex industry you know so it's you know not I'm not saying that's every situation well, I don't know. But, do you know what I mean? I mean if you had universal basic income then men wouldn't be as likely to, to, to try and force their partners into the sex industry sure? and also you know when we talk about these things the statistic like where you know it's easy to suggest that these things happen a lot and then without any any statistical neither of us have got any statistics here to back up either our position and the problem is we could probably provide statistics that That evidence that are are points because it you know research is based on you know people's values and ethics too isn't it so I think you know I mean like you know I suppose I would say that that isn't the main motivation of men who push their partners into the sex industry isn't about finances so the women that I've worked with who were subjected to domestic violence who part of that was about being sold for sex it's not about money it's about um, another form of violation and abuse so I I don't disagree with the fact that there's abuse there too no but it's actually the motivation is I own you and you will have sex with this person not I will get it the money is a secondary motivator yeah so I would say in terms of that then like it's kind of about not just ending poverty but ending patriarchy right oh yeah and, and sex worker rights organisations they agree with that too like there's no more fearsome anti-patriarchy people than, you, than, than, than yeah. sex worker rights activists who I've spoken to I mean you know I, I, I actually find that people who who are pro end demand or that sort of thing are much more likely to be ameliorative to me as a man and nicer to me as oh, a man than sex worker rights activists who will be like, fuck off, you, you know, yeah, that's just get the shit together, not, listen to yeah. us and don't get in the way. Um, whereas I, I actually find, um, you know, I'm always surprised by the amount of respect that you know, people who define as radical feminists give me since I feel like their ideology should suggest that they should give me no respect well it's really interesting because that's not my experience of <laughs> the people who i know who are um, radical feminists are not um particularly accommodating of men i have to right say. But that like, might... they don't have relationships with men they don't engage with men so right. maybe that's why they, they haven't spoken maybe they're to more, you because yeah. <laughs> they're just not speaking to you um maybe i don't know um i suppose i think for me that while while men can purchase access to women's body, that is that is a form of patriarchal oppression. That would be fundamentally. So I I get that that's not the only view, but I think actually, like, why 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 can't men like interact with women without the financial and you know why can't men have sex with women without paying them? Well, I mean, I, like, I'm like not, actually, why? Well, I, that's a very complicated question, and who the hell knows the answer to that? But, that, but that's, I guess, that's my question. That would be. Well, I my... would, but I would say that you know, when we talk about sex work, we are erasing when we like we're erasing, you know, gay sex workers who, who are like servicing men. But they're still purchased. Sure, by men. but but also, I mean, we are erasing. Um, 
I mean, there there are women who purchase. Sex. Of course, but like, where you know, let's. And you might say in a more liberated that. world without patriarchy, you know, your end point getting rid of patriarchy might be that in that world, uh, no man would ever purchase uh, the services of a woman's book, like for, for se- in the sexual context. Although, I mean, I have to say, you know, when we're talking about bodies, you know manual labour involves bodies too sex isn't the only thing that involves bodies I understand that sex is a more complicated thing for some people, not everybody has that kind of relationship with sex but there is, you know, manual labour like I would say that lots of like coal mining, lots of traditionally male uh, jobs are pretty brutal to yeah, I, I, would, like, I, would, I would get rid of coal mines right? Like, but I yeah. wouldn't get rid of but, I, but when we got rid of coal mining we destroyed communities um, because we didn't put in place stuff that yeah. would protect those people and I think that if you're going to get rid of the sex industry you have to have a similar pr- principle of what you're going to give to women in the, in the place of that yeah. but, but, but regardless of that your end point might be that, that women are never 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 sell sex again because they don't have to my end point might be where everybody who's lonely can purchase sex in a safe way like one of the reasons women don't purchase sex as much I think is because men are just more dangerous well like you, you know like if, if they knew that they weren't going to look it's, it's one of the reasons why sexual women don't get to uh, like celebrate that as much as they'd like because they're always in danger from male violence because well, they're think, sexual yeah but I think like fundamentally like I just think if that like we have like my question still remains like why can't men you know or women if it's women like have sex without buying it like actually I just don't like there is no good reason why somebody should purchase sex rather than having a sexual encounter out I just don't think it's a necessary industry do you know what I mean there's people with disabilities but then still like having a disability doesn't mean you have the right to have access to sex well the right it's the right to sex yeah but it's not the right to sex I I agree that that, that there's no there should be no right to sex like the, 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 the idea that anyone has, has is entitled to sex yeah. that is a problem and that leads to all, of, all the worst <laughs> yeah, all things, the things that, that we, we both definitely right. agree on <laughs> yeah. but um, that doesn't mean that the, 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 the desire isn't something everyone experiences and that some people um, don't get to experience the, the but why? But like, isn't that quite offensive to disabled people to say that they're not able to have consensual well, sexual am, encounters that are not I am paid not, for? I am absolutely not saying that disabled people can't have great sex lives that they can get like without any problem. But we live in a society that stigmatizes all sorts of things. I'm not saying anyone's got the right to it. Yeah. I'm just saying that if if both parties are consenting and nobody minds, then what's the problem to people doing? Uh, look, that fundamentally, I don't think sex should involve the transference of money. Like I just, I like, I just don't. But actually, sex. Why can't I just don't understand why why we can't have interact? Why sex cannot be something? Why? <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm like my brain's going. Ah. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, it's fine. I think, you know, fundamentally, it's an industry that shouldn't need to exist because why should people, you know, like, so people shouldn't need to purchase sex. They should, like, have sex, like, you know, the, without the financial interaction. Right, but, I mean, Tony, who I spoke to for the, for, on the show, yeah. who is a sex worker, she would say that's a tomorrow conversation. All the, all the stuff we have in here is tomorrow conversation. What helps women now? What helps women now under the situation that they're in? Like, if, if, if your tomorrow conversation is that you want a world that doesn't have the sex industry, then, then fine. But we can all agree that helping those women now is the priority. And 
supporting laws that criminalise clients or whatever word we want to use for men who purchase sex um, doesn't help women on the ground. In my view, in, in the, what I've heard from sex workers, sure there's people on both sides who are sex workers or ex-sex workers, I'm not saying there isn't. It's a complicated landscape. But the, the thing that convinces me the most is the, the informed and um, passionate personal and political arguments made by sex worker rights activists. And I think, you know, that we have, like, on, I guess on the, from my perspective, you know, I would be convinced by the, the stories of people, you know, who have entered the industry and that has, you know, obviously their view is different, but I guess people who've exited situ- lots of different situations, their view on it changes, do you know what I mean? And that yeah. doesn't make their, their, their experiences any less valid right. or, you know, potentially different. It yeah, may no, be that no, their experiences absolutely. have been, you know, it may be that actually, you know, the the sex workers that you're talking to or that are kind of, uh, you know, kind of pioneering for new new ways of doing this or, or kind of ways that they, they are saying are safer, um, that their experiences are different, you know, but I guess... Um, you know, I, I guess I'm convinced by the many women who talk about their experiences in the industry as being exploitative. I'm uh, convinced by the statistics that say there have been less um, violence and less murders in countries with the Nordic model. Um, and it's yeah. one of those things where, where I mean, actually... Even the Swedish government doesn't agree in their statistics on that. But anyway, I can't argue the, the, the <laughs> arguments that sex yeah. workers give are much more coherent than yeah. mine. I, didn't, I don't expect to change your yeah, views. I don't, well, I don't think we're here to change things, no. are we? I think it's just, I, you know, I'm really grateful that we're having a conversation and we're sat across the table from each other because I think, you know, one of the real, real sad things and one of the real um, problems is that we're not having conversations across tables from each other no, and, and no. having dialogue. And whether that dialogue results in anybody changing their view or whether it just means we become better friends yeah. and continue to have different views, that's, that is a much better position than just the, the Twitter factions and the wars and you know, but I where think, it gets yeah. difficult, and I'm sure it gets difficult on both sides yeah. in different ways, is when those views we have or the policies that those views result in are things that we might see as damaging to society as a whole. So, I mean, that becomes a problem, I'm sure, if you're sitting with you know, a macho guy on the other side of the table, you would have, uh, like, I might like him, but I yeah. can't support I, his views on... Right, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have. I can't support his views on this or that. Yeah. Like, ultimately, or, or, or like, you know, if you're sitting with a racist on the yeah. other side of the table, that becomes a complicated thing of like, yeah, sure, you know, we're both white, so it's easier for us to, 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 to sit with racists and not feel threatened. However, like, ultimately, those views ultimately become... And I'm not suggesting that your views are, like, on a par with racism necessarily. Although for sex workers, they might be yeah. absolutely as, as, as damaging or as liberating. Depends on who is right here. Like, so either... Either you're right and my views hurt sex workers, or I'm right and your views hurt uh, sex or, workers. But we're in or this both position of our of... views hurt different sex workers in different ways. Right. right. <laughs> Which is actually more Possibly. the reality that actually the people that you know you have been convinced by are you know are would would say that what I'm saying and what I'm 
proposing is damaging to them but the people that I'm talking to and their experiences wouldn't say that so I guess it's not about I guess, and I guess this is the experience on lots of things that there isn't an homogenous group of sex workers all saying the no, same thing you know that actually you know this is about a diversity of experience and um, and I think yeah the challenge is that legislation doesn't um, doesn't allow for that does it it doesn't allow to say right well for people who think sex work is you know work like any other and that that's, this is the way to keep them safe we'll have this law in place and for these people we'll have you know it's just not as um, as simple as that is it so I think um, you know I rec- totally recognise that there's a real there, there is a point where where you know you can't where sitting across the table and saying it's great that we can have the conversation you know if, if somebody sees that my views are offensive or um, contributing to their lack of safety of course um I mean, from my point of view, your views, generally, I agree with quite a lot of them. I think a lot of them, all of the work you're doing around um, domestic violence is incredibly important. Um, And, you know, um, but then, like, and and the fact that you you aren't influencing sex work policy, like, as an individual, makes me able to, like, but if you were a legislator, if you were putting those laws into practice, then it would, yeah. I'd find it much harder. I think for me, I don't, like, I suppose uh, it's not my, it's not the field that I work no, in. Right, and exactly. So I guess I, like, I do come across it in terms of if I'm working on domestic violence, there are women who part of the way that they've been abused is being coerced or forced into the sex industry. So on that side, I do come across it. But actually, like, for me, I would... I would much more want to, you know, if I was going to talk about the sex industry, and I would include pornography, um, probably I'd talk a lot more about pornography, really, and which is a topic we haven't spoken about, no, but, and often more about, it would be more in terms of young people and their access to pornography. But um, that actually, I would be talking about um, it in a more uh, raising awareness of the, the damage in a kind of more talking conversation to ask questions and to get people to think about what do they actually think about this and is there a conversation about the sex industry contributing to violence against women or is it not totally un- unrelated I would much rather have conversations where people are thinking and coming to conclusions and saying you know lots of people on the training go well I, I think people should be able to choose to do that and that's you know and it's like well actually that's okay you don't get a fail mark because you don't agree with me I just want to have conversations and give people opportunities to think and critically examine but also I mean I, I think talking about these I mean I, like we don't agree it sounds like on pornography either but what we do agree with maybe is that there needs to be a conversation around pornography there are definitely I, I would agree there are definitely uh, dangerous social messages being communicated through pornography same as all media under patriarchy the question is can you liberate it in, out of yeah <laughs> can you, is fair, fair is it, pornography is, possible yeah and I think it is and also you know I I also think that it's yeah, it's a it's a complicated, nuanced area that we haven't got time to really no, get into. No, we'd have to do a whole other podcast on yeah. that. But yeah, but I think um, yeah, I think I think it's more about trying to encourage people to engage critically in this stuff and whether people come to the same conclusion as me or a different one, I just really hope people were thinking yeah. and coming to a conclusion that's be, be gone through a journey of critical examination. Well, that's, that's, that's where we, we can agree. And what I also, I mean, my, my observation of you as a Twitter presence, at least, is that whilst you may have views I disagree with, you don't... There are many people who have views that I disagree with who are maybe within your camp or your or area, I don't want to say you say with these people, who say very, very abusive, I think, and horrible things to other women online in the name of uh, feminism. Um, and they, they exist on both sides of this debate. I'm not saying that they don't, but I see them most, 
much more from your camp. Um, and but you are not like that. I've never seen you be abusive about other women or even even men. Anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, do, I do try. It is, a, it is a sort of fundamental principle of can I try not to be abusive to anyone right. today? That would be like, I would hope that would be like a, a baseline before I go yeah. into anything else. Right. So, and I, you know, it's, Particularly because of where you, the, the, the yeah. area you work in, that's fundamental. You know, and, and it's about, you know, I've, I've done some work around right use of power, which is a whole other conversation. And I think that, you know, for me, I guess I recognise how femininity has been an oppressive construct in terms of kindness and forgiving and being walked over and all that kind of stuff but like I, I'd really like to reclaim kindness as a principle for any interaction because I don't think um, being unkind whoever whichever position on the feminist spectrum or whatever spectrum we sit on um, I, don't, I think we, kindness is not um, we don't have to sacrifice kindness in, in terms of having a pure ideology or whatever ideology we have so no, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and I thank you for you know being open minded enough to get me on to talk to you even though we have well, no, I, 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 love, I love having people who don't agree with me on the show but also I, I'm, I also like like I don't think our views are as different no. as, as, as some you know I've had I've had you know uh, Tories on the show and you know they, they they might agree with some of my views on the sex industry although for the, all the wrong reasons and all the wrong framing but um, but I probably disagree with them fundamentally a lot more than I disagree with you fundamentally and I have a lot of respect for your the work you're doing but also you know like I think ideas ideology they're not formed in vacuums and the experiences you've gone through in your life like it seems to me that the conclusions you've come to are so much kinder and nicer than they could have been based on those. Like, it's nice that you even are prepared to sit down, you know, at a table and talk to me. And there have been times when I have hated men and not wanted to sit down at a table and talk to another man. But there's been plenty of men I've not considered men for the purpose of living my life during those periods of my life. But, I mean, you know, so I, I'm always surprised when women who've experienced... The, the, the toughest elements of male violence are prepared to to, 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 be, to be you know to not think all men are like that. Yeah. So thank I mean thank you for for, the, for that. I mean that's a to me an amazing amazing thing. The last thing I ask everybody is is do you have anything to plug? Um, do you know I hadn't even thought about that. Um, <laughs> if people want to know any more about what I do, they can get in touch with me through my email Natalie at dayprogram.org. That's double M E org. And if people do want to get in touch and find out why I'm up to or anything, I don't have anything currently to tell anybody about. I'm I'm constantly doing lots of different stuff, and yeah, I'm always happy to have conversations with anyone. And I think you know I'm. I think that feminism is a tapestry and we need all the different strands and even the strands which go counter to each other. You know, they don't even... Because actually, you know, your voice is really needed and we need men who are having conversations, even if some of them are ideologically different to me because fundamentally what you're doing is creating spaces that currently don't exist and forging paths that currently aren't there and that is massively necessary and massively important. And so I think, you know, I would really want to celebrate what you're doing as well. And I think, yeah, I just... Yeah, I think even... You know that I think we have to have. You know, I mean, from a Christian point of view, we use that you know term grace a lot. But I think we have to have a lot of grace for the, the differences, but a lot of honouring and celebration for the things that we can really appreciate about what other people are doing. And it's trying to navigate that in a way that's that's not um, compromising of our core 
the core priorities or, or our core our core friends and family and the people we love. Right. Um, but yeah, but I think you know it's great to have conversations. Well, absolutely, and where we agree, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Like you've been very supportive to the show because basically the, the show talks about male violence against women and, 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 and those sorts of things and that's where we agree and to us about masculinity even if things that you might say I might be like oh I'm not sure about that actually that conversation needs to be had and it needs to be had with people who are going to say I'm really sure about what you're saying and I really agree that and it's really great you're saying that and I think you know actually that's the important thing you know that that there's lots of people with different voices different ideologies all working towards the goal of ending patriarchy even if some of those goals and some of that looks different because we need as many people on this as we can get yeah absolutely I, I agree with that I think I mean so yeah this conversation is, is going to have to come to a close and in fact it's sadly like I don't even think we'll have much time to chat after <laughs> I turn off the mic so it's been lovely meeting you lovely to meet um, you the background sound has become louder as we've sat here as more people have come in I think people can imagine that background sound as patriarchy trying to <laughs> take over and, 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 and drown us out but we have not let it and so that's an achievement uh, the last thing I ask everybody to do is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye thank you for listening Bye, everyone. I'm not sure if I articulated all of the arguments as well as I might have liked to in this conversation. And I'm sure that Natalie feels very much the same way from her different side of things. Again, I'm very grateful for everything she's done and continues to do to promote my show. I definitely believe in critical thinking. And if you are someone who is trying to have some critical thinking around the way that we treat sex workers within society whichever position you're in i really really recommend you watching the tedx talk that was done by previous getting better acquainted guest tony from the sex worker open university her video is called what do sex workers want there are plenty of other opinions around sex work out there i urge you to think very critically when reading all of them and see where you stand and hopefully I think we can all agree that the safety of other human beings is always the most primary thing we should have in our hearts particularly if we want to be kind to find out more about my solo show what about the men mansplaining masculinity go to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk I'm doing a live Getting Better Acquainted. That's happening at 9 o'clock on the 28th of April at the Old Red Lion Theatre. Tickets are £10. You can support Getting Better Acquainted financially by donating online. There's a PayPal button on the SoundCloud page. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. Follow me personally on Twitter at GooseFat101. And remember... There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. If you're a regular listener to Getting Better Acquainted, then you may have heard the name Matt Hill pop up quite a lot of times in the years since the show's been going. He's a really old friend of mine, and he's a reason that a lot of people who've been guests on the show have known me. So when I've asked them, how do you know me? They've often said, through Matt Hill. And yet, Matt, in all the years of me doing this show, has always said he'd rather not do the show, rather not sit down with me and do a conversation. Recently, 
Matt finally agreed to come on Getting Better Acquainted, but he had a requirement before he would come on, and that is for Spark True Storytelling to meet our target in the fundraising we are doing to raise money for Refuge Aid, which is a charity working with refugees. Now, you can donate to that fundraiser over on www.com stories.co.uk which is Spark's website. If you've ever wanted to get better acquainted with Matt Hill and he is a podcaster of some renown but at the same time he's very rarely in front of the microphone then support that very very worthy cause and if you don't know who Matt Hill is you should still donate some money because refugees are people the same as us and they need our support. Our governments certainly aren't giving that support so we need to do what we can to help them ourselves.